0: to the Influence Factory podcast. This program is dedicated to support professionals who have a desire to develop their digital business influence so they can navigate through a fast-paced, constantly growing digital world. We invite newcomers as well as our family of business influencers to a place to play, share ideas, questions, tips, and guidance with other thought leaders around the globe. Sit back and enjoy our program with your host, Dean Delisle, as he interviews guests. News and commentary are provided by Jackson Delisle and Monica Hacker. Power move lessons are provided by the influencer marketing department at Social Jack. And production, editing, and distribution is provided by the Social Jack production team.
1: All right, today's show is brought to you by Planable. Planable.io gives your social media team everything they need to really move their creative process forward. It allows you to preview social media posts as they are live, real time. No more screenshots, mock-ups, spreadsheets. Spreadsheets, your clients <laughs> can review content from within the platform. And do you have anything to say about it, Monica? It's a great platform. We've been using it now for a month. I love it. Um, it's a game changer in the content world. I highly suggest it. Yeah, go to planable, P L A N A B L E. I O to start your free trial today. This week's Influencer guest is Don Yeager. He's the son of a Methodist minister who was born and raised in Hawaii. He and his wife, Jeanette, and their two children, ages 11 and 10, live in Tallahassee, Florida today. Don's been active on a number of charity boards and currently sits on the national board uh, for the Make-A-Wish Foundation, which I love uh, for America. It is like an amazing foundation. Uh, Don's reputation as a world-class storyteller gave him the platform to share lessons of high performance on a variety of talk shows, including Good Morning America, Fox & Friends, Nightline, CNN, Oprah Winfrey, and now the Influence Factory. So Don, welcome today. (laughs) <laughs> this is.
2: Uh, I can now call it a career. It's like, like you know, you, Oprah.
1: You hit that so, milestone. <laughs> Oprah was
2: so yesterday.
1: <laughs> right. Uh, so thank you. I haven't seen you for a, a few months since you were here for the unveiling of the uh, uh, the famous statue at Soldier Field for Walter Payton. Right.
2: Yeah, that was such an incredible day, and just a wonderful opportunity to spend time with the Payton family. They are. Um, they're just among my favorite people and the, the folks that have given me a chance to be involved in storytelling, um, you know, with Walter's life was really incredible.
1: Yeah, that's super cool. And um, what's, uh, what's interesting is um, I have so much that I want to cover with you today, but one thing that uh, fascinated with me, is it true that you scored on Michael Jordan?
2: If that's the only thing that anybody <laughs> watching this remembers about me, uh, that's awesome, but yes, it's true. And yes, and it was in a one-on-one competition in which uh, uh, that was the uh, that was the setup. Was Jordan was uh, there to uh, and and he gave twenty of us the opportunity to go one-on-one with him. Wow! And um, and I became uh, in the history of that event, uh, which he had done for nine previous years, uh, I became only the sixth person to score on him. So, uh, wow! It was a pretty big deal.
1: That's cool, that's cool. Congratulations, that had to be awesome. I was a, a season ticket holder during those uh, years and was fortunate enough to spend some time in those four seats and I've gotta tell you, because you're a basketball junkie and so I like you know college basketball way more than pro for myself but just sitting on the floor, if you've never done it, is like the most amazing differentiator because we used to sit up, you know, in in the stands and whatnot. But the minute you have a floor seat, it's like a whole different game.
2: Well, yeah, they, it's, um, you don't, I don't think fully appreciate um, the size of the, uh, of the individual, but forget the size. It's the strength and the endurance and the physicality
1: of it. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. You
2: know, it's um it
1: uh,
2: the um yeah, it's a it's it's different than what most think. It's yeah. it, it is certainly not it is certainly a contact sport.
1: I'm telling you, I never realized how much it was. And I'll tell you, if you're even close to the path when that ball starts bouncing towards you to go out of bounds, just expect that there's going to be people flying over you. It's it's the most – my wife literally caught two of the players as, uh, as they were diving over us at one point. It's like, yeah. you're, you're supposed to get out of the way. You're not supposed to grab on. She goes, I didn't know. <laughs> yeah.
2: It's pretty crazy
1: um so uh so before we get to you know here and now if you will when i sat with you at breakfast you had like this amazing story about how you got started as uh, really to what i i consider you one of the top motivational speakers you know out there in terms of helping us understand how to get to that level of greatness for ourselves that we have within ourselves which i believe um, you know, has to do with, you know, the athletes and, you know, I played football and wrestling and there's that place you go when you believe there's nothing left, but everything's on the line and you need to push through and get to that next place. And, and as I'm going through some of your material, I, I, I'm i almost flashing back to those times, but you didn't start there. So so tell us a little bit of how you got to today, if you could.
2: Yeah, uh, no, I um uh, again, you referenced father was a preacher and, you know, grew up in Hawaii and lived in Japan and, um, uh, moved to Indiana when I was in high school. And, uh, but for me, um, kind of the, the this, the, one of the defining moments occurred. I, I, I certainly, I mean, I went to college for a degree in journalism and was offered a job right out of school at a newspaper in Texas. And I was, uh, uh packing up day after i graduated headed to texas stopped in indianapolis to spend a couple days with my parents and you know as as you do on your way to your first job where you know you're not going to be paid very well you're trying to figure out what you can steal from the house i mean how many, how many pillowcases and uh and towels you know mom won't miss um and uh and i i was literally standing in a driveway with my father and he um he challenged me, he said, Don, you know, you're going to, just because of the profession you've chosen, this opportunity to be a, um, uh, uh, you're going to be a journalist where you're going to be in the presence of, and you're going to sit next to some of those who the rest of us would give anything to talk to. um, You'll always ask the questions you need to, I'm sure you will. But what, what I'd love, Don, is for you to start thinking today about a question you'd love to learn the answer to from each and every one of these folks that you're, uh, that you're getting access to. Is there, wow. you know, always ask something that will grow you, right? Which I thought was pretty cool. That's cool. Do your job, but grow at the same time. And so the, que- the question I settled in on was, if you could name for me a habit. A uh, something you worked to develop that allowed you to separate yourself from your competitors and maybe even your peers. Right. What, what would that habit be? What was the thing you think you you um that allowed that, that put you into a, a different category? And what fascinated me was so I started asking that question as a young reporter, and over the course of my career, and this is how old I am, right? I, I asked it. You know, we're we know at least twenty five hundred times because I had a whole series of notebooks just with the answers that these folks would give me to that question uh, over the course of of all those years. And when I retired from Sports Illustrated a few years ago, I sat down with those notebooks and asked myself uh, and and started calculate out the answers. What came up most frequently? What are the what are the things that I was learning that? Um, uh, that I could use and how might those look. And, and what I came to was that there were 16 answers that came up most often. Um, and uh, so I kind of built them into um, um, a bookmark, which we've laughed about a little bit, you and I earlier, uh, a book and even a speaking career around what are the, if you had access to the very best in the world and you could learn from them, Here's what they'd tell you. And what fascinated me was that none of them, none of them, and we're talking the best, right, um, credited a physical gift for what allowed them to be different than their competitors. Wow. Because they all believed there was always someone out there bigger, stronger, faster, right? Um, Where they were locked in was mental, emotional, spiritual disciplines that they could work on and develop that they absolutely um uh know um separated them from those that they were competing against and so for me that was the that was my big takeaway my big aha was that if um i'll never have their physical gift but i can work on their disciplines
1: yeah i like that and then um when you were at uh sports illustrated um wasn't there a moment too where uh there was a, a transition of you just being a writer to starting to go out, right? Where they offered uh, you to actually um, travel, and were you speaking at that time, or was it more just going from the office to the field?
2: No, I was always on the road. I mean, I was yeah. a, I was. That's a, what I a, thought a,
1: I remember like,
2: right. So, but, but for me, there was a, I mean, you know, my good fortune is that Sports Illustrated had its own little speakers bureau, right? Right. And so they actually had a little arrangement with advertisers mostly um, that if you were bringing a whole group of people to the masters, right. Um, And, uh, and, and one of the writers was available, the writer could come by and, you know, maybe at the end of your, cocktail hour kind of entertain and regale with a few stories and I grew to love that I love the idea and the opportunity to end up out in front of people and they were gracious enough to continue to give me those chances and I realized that I I enjoy storytelling that's my that's my gift and that if I can um, if I can then tell those stories both uh, verbally as well as in, in writing that I might have, um, that speaking could really be on the horizon for me. And it worked out. It's worked out. I mean, t- I, I took and I took the, the retirement package they were offering up, uh, 10 years ago. Uh, I've gone out and now I'll do, you know, 70 speeches a year, um, all around the globe, just getting a chance to, as my wife says, I tell stories I love about people I love.
1: <laughs> that's and, cool.
2: and uh and then but you know they're not just stories they're stories that that lead you to uh an application and a, and a lesson right how do you learn the lesson how do you apply it if i wanted to replicate that lesson from some great what would i have to do to replicate the lesson and that's that's the other thing too is that it wasn't just straight up storytelling it's it's storytelling with a purpose if you will right
1: yeah and and yeah and I like the fact of how there's um, there's lessons packed in there now one of my uh, one of my good uh, or people I reference all the time is John Wooden, and you mentioned him uh, you and I spoke about him and um, tell us a little bit I mean I was just fascinated how you had the opportunity and 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 the way in which you spent that time with him so can you just go into that a little bit I was just touched by
2: that hole yeah so coach coach wooden um was in um uh obviously out in los angeles after he retired and for those of your listeners who might not know who he was because it's uh that's
1: right
2: (laughs) it's been a few years since he last coached he's the greatest college basketball coach to ever live right he won um on the division one level he won 10 national championships in the last 12 years yeah, his career. So that's, you know, that's a statistic that's already uh, hard to fathom, if you will. But, but the key too for him was that um, it wasn't just about winning, it was about developing, like how did you yes. develop people. Um, so as it happened years, but he remained revered, even after his retirement, um, people wanted to come learn and pick his brain. And so I'm, I'm a few years into my career at Sports Illustrated. I hear a story that Shaquille O'Neal is actually out. He's the young uh, star center for the Lakers at that stage, right? So he's already at the Lakers. And I heard he was regularly going to sit down and learn from Coach Wooden. And I thought that was really crazy. Shaq's 26. Coach Wooden was 88 at the time.
0: Right.
2: You know, other than basketball, what do these two have in common? And I asked, and and, um, uh, Shaq's college coach said, oh, yeah, these are mentoring sessions. Like, Coach Wooden is mentoring Shaq. And I thought, that's crazy. So I asked for an opportunity to kind of come along for one of them. I was allowed. And it was fascinating. They They never talked about basketball, right? They were talking about how to be a better dad, how to be a better father, how to be a better team leader, how to be, you know how to how to respond into your community. And and it was truly mentorship. Like it was Shaq asking questions, Coach offering guidance and Shaq taking notes. It was pretty cool. And so we got up and as I, as we did, I looked at Coach Wooden. I said, Coach, you know, you're obviously one of the most extraordinary men on the planet. How does someone become mentored by John Wooden? That's pretty cool. And he looked at me and he said, you ask. And I thought, gosh. Uh, And I said, how many people ask? Because you got to imagine, it's got to be hundreds, thousands. And he said, not as many as you might think. He said, most people immediately take themselves out of the equation by never even asking, right? They're sure that no one will accept. So they don't even ask which is, I mean, what a, what a great nugget of wisdom that was, right?
1: Wow, right. Profound.
2: So I went away and I worked on a little story and, and, uh, anyway, called back, talked to coach Wooden. And when I'm talking to him, I said, you know, coach, it's about a month later. I said, coach, as we were standing there, it felt like I was supposed to ask. And he looked at me and he said, what took you so long?
0: <laughs> and, and,
2: um, From that moment on, there was about 12 years, there was 12 years left in his life. It was pretty credible. Every other month, basically, for those 12 years, I flew to California um, for uh, a day with John Wooden. And, uh, you know, just unbelievable opportunity and great, great uh, lessons. And he's just pouring into me. And it was not about basketball, Right. It was about how to be a better leader, how to be a better influencer, about how to, how to, um, um, how to conduct my life in a way that other people would want to follow me. Right. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and then a few years into that, we actually kind of made a decision to write a book together on mentorship. And so we did, and that book came out on coach's 99th birthday. Wow. So cool. Right. And, um, uh, and then, you know, he didn't live to a hundred, he passed away, um, a few months later, but, um, I was able to parlay and learn, par- parlay all that he taught me, um, into some lessons I get to teach today. And it was pretty powerful.
1: That's super cool. And one of the things that always, uh, admires me about you is that, um, you know, you give you give credit to so many people, but I also wanna I want to give credit to you that you've been a great person and not just tell these stories, but just like now, there's there's lessons in the stories. And in my uh, most recent book, I talk about the power of asking, and I, I I got chill I got chills again as you told this story because it resonates so much to me. Where the most significant turning points in my life. Have been when I when I embraced my fear, or the or the or when, when I've put myself one down to somebody else, and just felt like I wasn't deserving of the ask. Mm. And I heard that in your message again, so I just want to acknowledge you for for sharing that with all of us. That I think that's um that that's that's a great secret to life that I think a lot of us miss out on.
2: Yeah, because again, I think a lot of us are caught up in um, as Coach said we walk ourselves out of the equation before we ever, before the, um, the math ever starts. Right. And yeah. so, um, how do you, how do you keep that from happening? Well, the key to that is having the willingness to, um, uh, have the willingness to, to put yourself out there a little bit, right. Uh, maybe risk a little rejection and, embar- and embarrassment. But the thing I think you learn is that the people you were probably meant to be in relationship with you know they're they're probably going to say yes in the in the in the process of that ask
1: yeah absolutely absolutely um one of the other people or one of the stories that resonated with me is that um you know being here in chicago um i i i was fortunate enough that the chicago bears were or one of my clients at one point and so I got to go up to a Hallis Hall and spend time in the war room and, and 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 see you know see that get inspired by the whole process of scouting and drafting and, and that whole process of that. Um, but then um, one time I'll never forget, I was younger, you know, my thirties, and as I'm walking through the hallway, I look up and it's Walter Payton. And he smiled and he stopped and he was just like, Hey, how you doing? You know? And he was just like, wanted to spend time with me, like was willing to just talk to me. And I was almost like, like why is he talking to me? Like to what you just said, like we almost take ourselves out of the equation. And I just took it in and, you know, shook his hand and thanked him for, for being such a dedicated player. And as I was even playing through, you know, high school and whatnot, I was just like, wow, it was like, you know, I always thought about how hard he worked. And he was a great inspiration to many of us that played football. But you got to to spend some critical last uh, moments uh, with him while he was with us. And, And you wrote a great book about him. So I'd be curious to hear maybe a little bit about the experience. But what did you learn from him?
2: Well, I think the thing that really stood out, uh, you know, just to, for, for, reader, for, for the context of your listeners and those who might be, um, again, not fully aware of Walter, um, hard to believe. Um, I know uh, this isn't running, well, this is live today, correct?
1: This is live today and then it gets uh, distributed over the next couple of weeks. It'll go out to podcasts, so. Yeah,
2: so um, uh, two days from now on November 1st, Uh, will be the 20th anniversary of Walter's passing, which is crazy. Hard to believe. Yeah. Um, but I think about him all the time, almost, almost every day. I mean, there's, you know, my son shortly after my son was born is Walter's widow sent a pillow to him made from one of Walter's jerseys. um, Wow. And, you know, so he has a 34 Peyton pillow that he gets to sleep on and, you know, just remnant remnants of that relationship that i had with him are all around me and i love that um and the and the time with his children and wife but um walter passed away at 46 years old crazy right that he that the greatest athlete of our one of the greatest athletes of our time certainly greatest football player in my opinion uh passed away so young of, of, of a very of rare uh, liver disease but he walter um i had the opportunity working with his family and 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 others to end up spending um, time much of the last 10 weeks of his life with them for his autobiography, which we wrote together called never die easy. And, um, and so there he was, he was my hero, right. You know, and uh, Walter, as I said, he'd be 66 today. So he's basically 10 years older than me. But when I was, um, he was in his prime in his twenties, I was in my teens and, wishing I could high step like that and, you know, uh, and hit holes like his, and he was just amazing. So, um, being offered the opportunity to kind of be around him in that most vulnerable window when he, uh, and to be trusted by him was uh, incredible because he knew he was not going to be alive when the product of our work, um, the book would actually, um, uh, live so it was pretty incredible that he but I the thing you asked the question what made me most surprised me I think it was this idea that um, great as he was best of but he um, he constantly invested in others yeah. and he totally believed so ironically because we've already talked about John Wooden right uh, one of the things that happened was that Walt, while I'm with Walter, he actually handed me a frame with a little quote in it that he had cut out of a magazine years earlier. Um, and the quote said, you cannot live a perfect day without doing something for someone who cannot repay you. Wow. And that was his life mantra, right? But the originator of that quote from that magazine was John Wooden. Like, oh my god. How does all that happen? <laughs> like you know what I mean? It's kind of these crazy yeah. uh confluence of events um that in one person's life it you know, it feels odd and funny and crazy that I got the chance to be in relationship with all these folks. So uh just an honor and it's an honor to be uh, trusted by people to tell their story because that's the you know that's the coin uh, of the realm, right? It's what we're trying to be as a really good and impactful uh, partner in good storytelling, and then yeah. and then hope that those stories uh, don't just honor and reflect the people who are engaging me, but um, teach and instruct those who those who are getting a chance to experience them.
1: Right and um yeah and and i do love the uh lessons by the way if uh, those of you listening uh, go to don you'll you'll have more than enough books to read and uh you'll you'll have a hard time deciding which one to take first my, my
2: children <laughs> would say you shouldn't decide they need you to buy them all
1: <laughs> um, <that would> be- <laughs> and they're all wonderful by the way um so uh, just being a Chicago guy, and uh, you know, witnessing the obviously the World Series for the Cubs for the first time in a long time, um, I saw you post a picture with your by the, friend. By the way, you didn't yeah.
2: witness the, the World Series the last time the Cubs were in it. That was uh, you know. No,
1: yeah, no, no, right. Yeah.
2: Plus years ago, so yeah, it's long yeah. before your. It's yeah, it was long before you, man.
1: Yeah, our time, right? Well, I mean, so, yeah, the 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 one in my lifetime. How's that? <laughs> there, you there you go. But I saw you, uh, I saw you embracing, um, you know, uh, the new manager for the Cubs, right, David Ross, and uh, Grandpa. And so, as we were always watching, I, I had such an admiration for him. While you know, I could just feel his presence and his leadership. And, um, and, and I'd be curious to know your, your takeaway and, um, maybe any thoughts that you have of him leading, you know, being the next leader of this club.
2: He is so ready. It is just, I mean, you know, I, again, um, uh, I had a good fortune of spending several hours with him just the week before that, all that came down. Um, and you know, he's been waiting, he's been ready. he's been preparing for this for years, right? right? This is not something that just happened. He is a, um, David Ross is at his core. Um, you may call him a backup catcher, you, whatever you want to do, but at his core, what he is, is a, is a highly competitive person who, uh, wants to get the best of himself and the best of others around him. And, you know, if there's anything you want from a manager, Right It's somebody who um knows what they know knows what they don't, surrounds themselves with people who will will con- continuously make them better, and in the process of that um build something build yeah. something and um you know I really love the way theo epstein you know the the uh the president of the Cubs. Uh, put it when he was talking about what you know there are a lot of people that thought Cubs won in 2016 wow it's pretty cool they're an amazing team a lot of young talent they were set up to many people thought you could you know set up you should win a bunch right yeah
1: right that's the thought Um,
2: baseball's a a weird sport it is and and um uh I live down in the south where many of us appreciate the Atlanta Braves and you know, when you think about a team that, like, for 14 straight years won its, um, you know, uh, won its, uh, it's, it's a division, but but then ended up winning one World Series in that entire window. That's crazy, right? Yeah. But it's because it's a weird sport. And it is. People can get hot. People get, but that's what life is. Life is a weird sport. Competitive anything in I like baseball as a um, as a conversational model for business often because I think it's the most it's the most like what the rest of us go through uh, of any sport. And they play 162 games, right? Right. The best the best team in baseball will lose 60 times in a year. You know, you if you can't get good at losing. Uh, if you can't learn to put a loss behind you, uh, if if one loss turns to five, every time you lose, uh, you'll never be good in that sport. The, the best hitters in the sport fail seven out of 10 times, right? It is a failure sport, as is, frankly, most of life, right, for us. And so if that's true, um, then what we really, you know, what we need to do is try to figure out how do we get ourselves... Um, how do we make sure that we remain present? How do we how do we stay in the moment? And, you know, it's about this at bat. It's about this pitch. It's about this minute, not what I did last minute or, the, or what I might do in the future. It is, it's such a great, there's so many places, in my opinion, where I could teach a lifetime of business lessons just out of the game of baseball.
1: Well, and I'm, I'm just smiling here because, um, you know, baseball, even if you look on my LinkedIn pro- profile, I go, I love baseball. And I talk about playing football and, and martial arts and wrestling and everything. But it was my, you know, I grew up with Sandlot where you, you know, you 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 worked your butt off every day not to get picked last. And then someday you would become captain, you know, and so there was this constant, like you said, but you're the first person in a conversation where I've heard that the other than me that says, you know, business is just like baseball because you play so many days, like so many game. games, it's a grind. Right. <laughs> and um and just so fascinating by hearing you say that um yeah i'm one I'm, I'm doing a, i'm doing a new book uh you've inspired me to continue to do books by the way so thank you for that um and i'm going to i'm going to interview you for that section if you're okay with that cuz that to me is like i i i don't think people understand you know it'll be funny when people say they don't understand baseball but here's one of the things i heard on uh, i listen to sports every day um, and read about it every day. So uh, so what they said about David Ross is they said, well, you'll notice that a lot of good managers were actually catchers. Now, I was a catcher, pitcher, and and center fielder because I had the, the arm uh, for all three. And one of the most interesting things is they said that a lot of managers were catchers, but when you think about the role of a catcher, and I never really thought about it until this week and then David Ross being a good pick um, is that they are constantly running the game from behind home plate in communication with the dugout, and I don't think a lot of people realize they're almost like the general manager on the field.
2: Yeah, they they would be, you know, the the pitcher is the star, right? That's yeah. who is, but. But the catcher's the only one facing the other direction, right? So it's the only one who's really kind of looking at where where are we positioning everybody? Are they in the right place? Are they in the right place for the pitch? I'm getting ready to call. Right. right? Are they, and, and, and there are a lot of people that might not understand the dynamics of baseball, but the pitch that's coming could have everything to do, you know, if you know the batter, if you've done the proper intelligence on who it is that is standing there with a bat right next to you, um, you can see how their feet are set up. You know what they're looking to go to to do. You know all of these things are. It's a it's a it's an awareness, and it's yeah. I mean, catchers are, um, and you know, and they have to be engaged in every pitch. Not that every other player isn't, but they are. I mean, obviously, they've got they've got a skill set that's required. But it's a um, yeah. There's a place there that makes I think catchers unique. When it comes to the opportunity, then to go and lead uh, entire teams on the field.
1: Yeah, and much like um, much like a business, like you said, you have to make constant adjustments, and you have to be aware and present in the moment. You can't think about yesterday or the last ten things. You can certainly learn from them, but you don't carry all that baggage with you to today's game. You know, you have to just think about the next pitch, the next inning, the next you know, hitter, you know, and, and it keeps you alive and, and checked in.
2: Absolutely. And so I think, again, all that is what makes this, um, I think it's gonna be a great choice. I think the Cubs, uh, I did well, again, I'm very personally biased. I love David. I wrote a book with him, obviously. Right. And, uh, um, and we're, uh, and I consider him, um, a friend. And so I, um, I, I'm, I I think you'll I think that the good things will come of it. He's also, you know, though the Grandpa Rossi thing was a cool, <laughs> funny, right? You know, the guy's thirty nine, basically playing with guys half his age, right? Um, and all that was a funny meme, and it was a great, you know. I mean, they they bring him a you know a a. a, a you know, a little scooter for him to ride at spring. Right. Put they- walker
1: walker. Didn't he give walkers to everybody in the, in the clubhouse? Too? No,
2: they gave him one though. And, oh, that's
1: right. That's uh, right. I knew there was some exchangeable. No, walkroom, and, so.
2: You know, and so there's that whole, you know, all that's fun. But the truth is, you know, what made David Ross who he was as a player over the course of his career was um, that he's just, uh, he, he's, He'll he'll give it to you if he doesn't think you're giving it to to the team and you yeah. know and and um and his willingness and openness to hold people accountable um, will be a place that will be really important to that. Yeah. Team. That's-
1: yeah, and I think that's um, that's certainly interesting uh, as well. Uh, so we have uh, we have a, um, and, and it sounds like you and I were both uh, watching at least some of this World Series going on right now. If you're at, you know, if it's uh, October 30th, and so by the time some of you hear this, you'll know who the winner is. We don't quite yet know, but what I noticed, um, and they finally talked about it last night, is that every there's not a single one of the teams that has won at home through this series the other team has beaten them in their own house so talk about a psychological crazy game (laughs) it's that they can't win at home
2: (laughs) At yeah (laughs) and i actually blogged about that i so i I do leadership blogs for forbes and and i have a blog that's out on that that came out yesterday uh when it was only five, the first five games, obviously now it's six, uh, when we're talking here. Um, but in that process, right. I mean, six games in which the, um, the visiting team has come out as the victor and that's, and these are two of the best home crowds in baseball. So it's like, you know, it's not as if the the crowd didn't give them their best. Um, it's just that sometimes, you know, um, the one thing, so I actually kind of dissected a little bit, just experience and sports and things, and you'll get this uh, as will many of your listeners. But you know that that sometimes there's there's uh, you believe that playing at home should give you an advantage, and so in some ways maybe you let your guard down a little or whatever. Sometimes being on the road together as a team allows you to pull together because it's just you against the world, right, yeah. which everybody, you know, we all, we play better when we all, I mean, I, one of my favorite parts of Michael Jordan, right, was here he was, best in the world, and Bulls were best in the world, and they would win record number of games, and yet, they would routinely kind of say, no one believes in us, like, who are you kidding, <laughs> but it's the narrative you're trying to tell yourself that, like, yeah. it's us against the world, well, that's pretty evident when you're in a baseball stadium and everybody is yelling at you and you're you're pretty close to the fans in some ways. And and they're questioning your paternity and other things, um, uh, you know, which is, uh, you know, so I, I actually think sometimes being on the road gives teams a little bit of an advantage because it right. bonds the players together. Right. We only have yeah, each other, That's true. Right? We only have each other right here. And then secondly, it, um, uh, I think it's kind of cool and they, um, you know, sometimes again, you, you let your guard down a little bit because we have this inherent advantage, right? We're playing on the, we're playing at home. Well, maybe yeah. it's not an advantage if you, if you, if you're not, if, if you aren't as razor sharp as you would be otherwise. So I, again, I'm not suggesting that's what happened here, but I right. think that that's, that's, uh, those, those things often Combine in, uh, in a lot of these places.
1: Yeah, super cool. Um, one, of the, um, one of the other things I just want to touch on while I, I, I know we only have a few minutes left, but um, you wrote a, a, a book about great teams, 16 things, mm-hmm. right? And, and, um, and uh, this is one that I'm actually recommending to some of my uh, CEOs. Uh, so when you go on the website, donyeager.com, go to great teams um but uh can you give us one or two nuggets i know it's tough cuz there's so much in there but could you just give us one or two nuggets for those of us that are in business or responsible for a team uh, of of lessons that just really you know would help us out here
2: sure real quick i'll give you i'll give you three real quick the first is the number one answer that came up i i, I went on the road to sit down with the best team builders on the planet right not just in sports, but also in business. Uh, right. everywhere, all the way to New Zealand where I got a chance to interact with the All Blacks, the rugby team there, incredible, incredible team. But in the process of that, one of the things that came up, the number one thing that came up was that, you know, everybody says they wanna all work, uh, they wanna be part of something bigger than themselves, right, it's a, you know, I'm not, I'm not gonna generationalize, but a lot of people assign that to millennials today, right? They all wanna yeah. be part of something bigger than themselves. What does that mean? Well what that means is that but but what that put that put how's that put on us is that most of us who own or operate or run businesses actually can give them an opportunity those who work with us to be part of something bigger than themselves, but we have to we have to create organizationally um, what what we call in the book feel it moments right which is the opportunity to feel why what we do matters, who it matters to what happens if we disappear from our spot in the universe, right? What if our company no longer delivers for those clients? And if you understand how what we do matters into the lives of other people and how it might even matter into the lives of the people they serve. Yeah. What happens is you begin to feel that responsibility that you are in fact, part of something bigger than yourself. And when people feel that what happens is that they, um, they start showing up different for work. Right. Yeah. Cause now I really am, I'm not just making widgets. Uh, if it weren't for the widgets that I'm making um, you know, 300 families uh, would be out of business. And, right. um, and Oh, by the way, those widgets go on to help uh, develop cancer uh, cancer, um, you know, are used in machines that today are keeping cancer patients alive or, or those widgets are used, whatever, right? And there's, there's always something, you just have to know and think about, you know, what you're, why, why is what you're doing, why does it matter? And most of us haven't quite given that, the thought that it, you know, it's, it's not just as simple as know your why, it sounds good, yeah. it's, it's know why what you do matters, and why, the, why um, uh, and how can we make those who work with us feel that that matters? And there's some amazing examples, you know, if they go to that website, I think it'll all all be clear. Uh, The second and third one that I want to throw out there is that, you know, we all talk about how camaraderie is a really valuable tool within a great team. But if you get highly competitive human beings in an environment, um, camaraderie, as wonderful as it is, doesn't always happen. Dysfunction is real as well. Right. So we, we should desire and look for ways to build camaraderie. And there's plenty of good reasons or ways laid out in the book. But then the secondary piece of that is don't imagine for a second that dysfunction isn't a part of a great team. Dysfunction exists. Uh, and anybody who says it doesn't, uh, this is all about, we're all in kumbayas lying to each other. Yeah. So how do you shorten the life cycle of every dysfunction that comes to your team? Being thoughtful and all of that's really important. And then I know I know the last thing I know that we you and I wanted to talk about is that uh, out of all of this we've built this virtual learning course this journey to greatness um, that I know I think was part of our close together but it's it's a um, it's actually an opportunity to get the chance um, to take some of what I've learned over these years and and it's a it's our first ever virtual course it's doing really really well
1: it's awesome yeah It'll, i love it
2: and i know you've taken uh, you've, you've you've invested in taking part of it i know there's some good stuff going on there but it's just it's an opportunity for people to learn uh, without for example me needing to be in front of their office place or whatever it might be and and for those in your listenership who are interested I know there are some ways that we're um, uh, we're we're going to partner on that together. Yep. So uh, I think you'll share some of that later. But Absolutely. I hope that people, if they again, if they get to the website, whatever it might be, um, and they'll look at that journey to greatness. I hope it will be helpful to them.
1: No, and and I think um, I think it partners well with what we teach. And you know, my philosophy, which I learned at Hallis Hall and with the Bulls on social teaming and making sure that we're conscious about the relationships and the impact that we make with each other. Um, the, your stuff is so synergistic with that and just, you know, it, is, it walks in parallel with that. So I do want to encourage you to to check out Don's website and journey to greatness. So it's uh, super cool. And um, so uh, Don, this is the time of the program where unfortunately we're out of time. Um, and it always goes so fast when I'm with you, but I want to, Uh, I always ask our listeners and our students, um, I really ask them, uh, and we ask this every week, but I really want you to take what you learned today, one thing that resonates with you, and teach it to somebody today that you care about. It could be your child. It could be uh, your coworker. It could be somebody that you're mentoring, somebody that you want to mentor, but Take something that resonated with you and share that with someone today so that it's fresh in your mind and and you you wire it for yourself as well as for others. So please be a a real net giver out there and help others with what Don has shared with us today. And so Don, I just wanna thank you uh, from the bottom of my heart. Um, I miss you when I don't get to see you. So we're gonna work on that next. And then um, I see some great things for both of us together in 2020. So I'll circle back around with you on that. And then um, I actually uh, was just talking to a, another conference uh, about you as well. So we'll we'll circle back on that. So, but I, I adore you. I love your messages. I love your books. I wish I could read them all. Uh, I'll get there someday, but uh, I'm picking them off one at a time. So that's how we're doing.
2: Dean, I appreciate you. And I'm grateful uh, for the relationship and the time you've given me with uh, with those you're influencing today.
1: Yeah, thank you so much, and uh, we'll see you soon, and uh, by the time we listen to this on a podcast, uh, we'll have a World Series letter. (laughs)
2: Exactly.
1: (laughs) All right, have
2: a- If anybody at home (laughs) wants.
1: Yeah, right, exactly. All right, Don, well, listen, have a great one, and we'll talk to you super soon, and thanks, everybody, for listening. Take care. Thanks, buddy. All right.
0: Thank you for listening to the Influence Factory podcast. We welcome feedback and suggestions. You can provide these by visiting our website at www.myinfluencefactory.com. And if you are interested in Social Jack's 90 Days to Influence program, you can simply go to 90daystobusinessinfluence.com and simply ask for the next steps. While our program airs regularly on Zoom webcasts and Facebook Live on Wednesdays at noon central, we invite you to download episodes on your favorite channel, YouTube, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spreaker, SoundCloud, and who knows where else in the future. We will also provide occasional on-location live streams with special guests that we will announce in our community Facebook group, Business Influencer Alliance, as well as on all Social Jack channels. Our mission is to help you build your digital business influence with this podcast, as well as inspire, educate, and entertain those who are hungry to collaborate in a cool place with cool business professionals just like you.